Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show. Well, it's been a while since we've had to do a Blue Moon podcast where Manchester City have been so bang out of form that it's caused such panic. Remember that stay calm scene from Dante's Peak? That's about where we are right now, just with fewer power lines exploding on top of crashing cars and no church spires collapsing onto school buses. And yeah, I'm going with the disaster story from 1997 as my cultural reference point at the start of this week's show. And also Dante's Peak. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, City are now winless in four games, the longest run for any Premier League side at the moment, but I'm also old enough to remember when we'd have spun that as one defeat in four, so swings and roundabouts. On today's podcast, what is up with City? Well, you already know, really. Injuries and unavailable players are hampering the team, and the dominoes have been perfectly placed to fall when up against a string of good sides. It's Luton next. We'll hear all about their start to the season from Ollie from the We Are Luton Town podcast a bit later on. And away from the pitch, we'll also hear from the journalist and author Paul Bayus, after his book Pep City, The Making of a Super Team, has been updated with behind-the-scenes info from last season's treble win. And we'll also hear the details of the brand-new Bell Lee Summerby statue outside the Etihad, so an absolutely action-packed show. Let's see if we can't lift the mood a little first, though. I'm David Mooney, and with me for this week's show is, from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. And the football reporter for The Times, Charlotte Dunker. Hi, you Okay. Yeah, not bad, thanks. Not bad. I mean, well, I say not bad. Results-wise, could be better, but, you know, we'll get into all of that. Um, Adam, Dante's Peak, if you had to pick a, a part of City's history to be made into a disaster movie, any any particular event you'd pick? Yeah, well, definitely um, York away, because, <laughs> and I'd go for Armageddon, because it's literally the end of the world on the socials if yep. City haven't scored in the opening 10 minutes of a match, let alone not won a few games. So imagine, <laughs> I like to imagine social media, Back in York away times, and it'd be an absolute Armageddon. Yeah, 25th anniversary of that coming up soon, you know. That's uh, that's the, how time flies when you're having fun, eh? Um, uh, Armageddon or York away? But maybe both, who knows? I, I, that's a very good question. I should have checked that up. Um, Charlotte, good to have you back as well. It's been it's been a couple of years since you've been on the show. Um, Has it been that long? Yeah, 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 because uh, I think we were in the studio the last time uh, we oh, saw right, you. Yeah. Um, just a quick question. Do you feel qualified to talk about men's football? Apparently not. No, I think. <laughs> well, I, I'm, not, I'm not really too sure why you've got me on here, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, you've got to laugh at these things, haven't you? <laughs> when he put his latest tweet out, uh, this is Joey Barton, obviously, we're talking about. <laughs> I actually read it and I, I nearly retweeted it with some laughing faces. And I thought, do you know what? He'll just come straight back to me. So I can't be bothered with the aggro. Yeah. But come on, like. Ugh. It's laughable, really, isn't it? It's, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's honestly the uh, that the it's that it, it, it's in full force there. That good old concept of don't back down, double down. That's that's what I'm going to do. And you can, you can <laughs> I just think that. he must need a bit of. I don't know. He must just need a bit of publicity. He's clearly not feeling relevant at the moment. He's mm. just thought, how can I get my name out there? Any publicity is good publicity. I'm going to say something ridiculous. Yeah. Well, you know what we'll do? We will starve it of oxygen from now on. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> let's talk about City. Uh, it is the season for festive football and the best way to watch if you can't get to the game. It's down at your local Green King Sports pub, of course. After all, Christmas is a time to catch up with friends, old and new. So get your team to your local for pints, food and live action of every Christmas cracker. Each game from TNT, Sky and Amazon is live at Green King Sports. That means wall-to-wall action on their huge HD screens. Head to your local Green King and watch every winning goal, top bins, volley and dodgy VAR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Who knows, City might even win one of the games starting with Luton this weekend. Don't forget, download the Green King Sports app and you'll receive 10% off drinks every single time there's sports on the telly. Um, Right, Adam, we can put it off no longer. Uh, We're going to have to talk about uh, the situation. Um, It's Ultimately, it's been a bad week, hasn't it? It's been a shocker and I knew I was coming on the podcast before the Villa game, but after the Spurs and I was waiting for the Villa game to kind of dictate my narrative that I was going to go with and that didn't help it any. any. So I was just, I was just in true Joey Barton style. I just doubled down on how bad a week it was. Yeah. But um, I just want to put it in a bit of context in the longer term piece and say that I don't think there's many teams that are coming through that run of four games with 12 points. Now, I'm not sure it might be as bad as the three points that we got out of the Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs and um, Villa games run, but I don't think there's many other teams this season that are going to come through that with 12 points. Hmm. Um, And obviously, last season we had 10 points from those corresponding fixtures, but I think it's fair to say that Spurs, Villa, Liverpool aren't the same proposition as they were last term. So it's not as bad as it seems in context. Out of context, it's an absolute shambles. Yeah. Um, (laughs) If If you allow me that. Yeah, I will. Now, now Charlotte, I have an ulterior motive of asking you on for this week, because I know you've covered Villa a lot um, recently, and they're they're just really good aren't they Mm. and i've watched them a lot but i think it was only last night i was like wow they actually are really good aren't they i think i obviously watched city as well but to see a team dominate city so surprised that that happened and i know everyone's saying oh i was speaking to people from city at half time and they were like oh we're so terrible and i was like yeah, but look at the team you've got on the pitch. Like, they're still Manchester City. I genuinely believe they still come back in the second half. So the fact that they only had two shots on goal, Villa had 22, the way they were overran, the way they were dominated, for me, even though I've watched Villa quite a lot, that still surprised me. I know Villa are a good team, but the fact that they didn't just go toe-to-toe with City, they dominated them, they deserved to win, they deserved to win by more than one goal. I think that was a shock and I think it really shows where Villa are at in terms of the conversation within the league. Yeah, I think the the other side of it, Charlotte, as well, is I don't know what the feeling is around Villa Park, but obviously they have Arsenal next as well. And there's a there's a real opportunity for them to to put down a proper marker in terms of what they can achieve because I, I know a lot of Arsenal fans are looking at that and going, I, I don't fancy this. Yeah, well, I think... It was their 14th consecutive home win in the league, um, the one yesterday against City. But if you speak to Unai Emery, every single time he says, we're not in contention for the top seven. And you think, (laughs) what are you watching? (laughs) It was so funny in the press conference yesterday because Guardiola came in first. um, 
and one of the questions he was asked was based on what you've seen about on, about Aston Villa do you think that they're capable of not necessarily winning the title but contending for the title and he was like absolutely and he named say four or five different reasons as to what he sees from how they set up and how they play as to why Emery comes in 15 minutes later he's like absolutely not no there's seven teams better than us in this league I was sitting there thinking Right. As this some like sort of mental tactic from him. He said <laughs> he needs to get to game thirty-two and then he might believe that they're and if they're still at the near the top, that he might believe they can contend for the title. So um I think it'll be a great game against Arsenal on Saturday, to be honest. Yeah. Um Adam for for City, um there's so many issues um like it's ultimately it boils down to a a list of things doesn't it it's injury fatigue system and structure and kind of all of that kind of uh, the the tools that Guardiola can pick from right now are kind of building a system that Aston Villa were perfectly set up to, to to dismantle yeah I think first of all before I reel my list of excuses off and I have got a list <laughs> um, I think we need to give Villa credit um, they played exceptionally well they were set up perfectly to stop what we were trying to do I've never seen a team dominate a Pep Guardiola side and limit us to two chances all coming before the 11th minute of the game and then us looking toothless uh, for the rest of the game uh, so credit where credit's due I think Villa will cause other teams problems and if they're not going to be title contenders themselves I think they'll cause title contenders problems that hopefully we can um, catch up in, in our other games whilst they're playing Aston Villa so if, if they're not going to be a title contender they're certainly going to take points yeah. off and people a, an absolute trail of destruction in their wake but with all the other teams just kind of like collapsing and, and all sorts yeah, exactly. around them yeah <laughs> there's definitely a chaos and disaster theme today so um, I'd, got all I just in think... into it mate got all in into it <laughs> Exactly. Let, let's embrace the chaos. So I think obviously no Rodri straight away. There's a problem. And that is, I think he's missing, he's missed 25% of the season now through suspension. So that's going to hit you. I'm a, I'm a bit, it's a bit annoying how reliant we are on one player. And it's a, it's a bit small fry to just be a one, a one, a one-man team, but such is the evidence that that's the case. So we go with that. Um, I think Alvarez's biggest crime is not being Kevin De Bruyne and he's playing out of position. I think you've got the issue of Pep not choosing his actual midfield players. So you can't tell me that one of those midfielders last night were playing in their true position. So there's the system issue and the structure. But again, we've had this in previous seasons and we've been able to deal with it. Villa were just a a challenge too far for us last night, given everything else I've listed. Um, And then just to wrap it all up in a kind of a woe is us unlucky city (laughs) motto if i may you've got the spurs game where our xg was 1.86 which was higher than theirs you've got the liverpool game which was 1.66 xg which was higher than theirs you've got the chelsea game ours was 2.2 which was higher than theirs so if we have our shooting boots on those are all different games we've got more points on the board the villa the Villa defeat doesn't seem so bad because any team can go, well, the last 14 teams can go to Villa Park and get beat. So that's not as chaotic and distra- distressing as it seems. But in the context of all those things adding up, it becomes a bigger problem. But I think I've been able to reel off some examples there of why it's happening. I'd be more concerned if I didn't have a list of reasons of why it's happening. We did, But we are where we are and we deserve to be there because we've not taken our chances because we're conceding goals late in games when we should be controlling them. I mean, if I, if you allow me to go on another rant, um, we've, we were leading in the Spurs game in the 90th minute and didn't win it. We were leading in the 80th minute against Liverpool and didn't win.
win it. We were leading in the 94th minute against Chelsea and didn't win it. We were drawing away at Arsenal in the 85th minute and didn't come away with any points. So when those when you you're not controlling games like that, you get what you deserve. So whilst I am listing excuses, I'm also not saying we deserve anything more than we got. Hmm. But there's the kind of reasons. Yeah, and that's the rant over. Oh, it's it's nuance, and that, I mean, I'm here for nuance, so I'm I'm all right with that. Charlotte, the other side of of uh, kind of what Adams touched on there is, um, like Dave Wolinski tweeted, um, like ultimately City have come through a run that is Arsenal, Brighton, United, Bournemouth, Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs, Villa. And like at the end of that run, it's kind of when when you've got the injuries that they've got and the the suspensions that they had against Villa, it's kind of all right to lose that game in the way that they did. It's the it's the the problem is the dropped points elsewhere in that run, isn't it? Yeah, and I also think everything about this goes back to the expectation and the high level that City have set over the years. I think they're six points off the top. They're not. We're not talking about a crisis here, but the way it's being discussed, it's like I don't know. They're in the bottom half of the table, mm. so they're six points off the, off the top. They've Rodri, one of the most consistent players on the way to winning the treble last season, has missed all these games, like you've mentioned. They've not had Kevin De Bruyne, one mm-hmm. of my favourite players of all time. Not that that <laughs> means that he should be the most effective, <laughs> but. Um, just a little note for Kevin De Bruyne. They've not had him You're desperately missing Gundogan. I don't think they've replaced him properly within the team. So if you look at the balance in midfield this for the past few weeks, it's been totally off. So the fact that they are still only six points off the top and we're only 15 games into the season and everyone's going, where's it going wrong for Manchester City? Well, it's going wrong for all these reasons that you've just explained. And But De Bruyne is going to come back. Um, Jack Grealish is not going to be suspended against Luton. Rodri's going to be back. There's this whole debate about Grealish and Doku and why they're playing differently and all this sort of stuff. And is Grealish finished? No, of course he's not. There are all these different narratives. But I think the reason why is because everyone just expects Manchester City to keep on winning and to keep on winning in style and to keep on winning by five, six goals. And when they don't, well, what, what's up? That is a great crisis to be in, isn't it? I mean, if that's, if that's a crisis right now for City, I think all City fans would probably take that when you go back years ago and you look at the real crises that the club were in. So I think many City fans would probably take this one instead. Yeah, back to 1997 and Dante's peak all over again. <laughs> um, Adam, as you mentioned, it's pretty obvious City can't control games at the moment. Um, I mean, ultimately... How do you solve that? Because like the, the players that are available are still available and the ones that they've got, that's that's the hand you've got. So like, what do you do with yeah. it? I think without sounding like Fabian Delft from the All or Nothing documentary, <laughs> we, we, we go back to basics and we we try and just, just suffocate the midfield. I'd bring in an actual extra midfield player at the expense of Alvarez, and that's no slight Alvarez, like I alluded to in my previous answer. He's he's just guilty of not being De Bruyne. So in the absence of not being De Bruyne, I want another person in the midfield who can stay on the... But we, we should be good enough. I know we've not got a divine right to win any football match, but we should be good enough to be... To, see out a game against most of the teams in the league. Forget the four that we've just played who had different reasons for being challenging against us. Luton away, for example, I know we'll get onto Luton in, in a minute, but we need to start controlling games more just by having more bodies who are better on the ball than the other the opposition and just hope that some of those XG examples that I gave actually fall in our favour. So <clears throat> we, we need to stop trying to 
swashbuckle football and blow teams away. We need to have the ball more than the opposition and we need to hope that one of the chances that we will inevitably create, albeit last night, in, not after the 11th minute, fall our way and we take it. And then we should we, we need to start being a bit more defensively sound and hope that a 1-0 win is enough because it's 4-all, it's 3-all, it's 1-all, it's, you know, they're not sustainable results. And, and when you don't outscore the opposition, you get these draws. So... Let's be a bit more stable. Let's put an actual midfielder in midfield and hope that we can retain the ball a bit more rather than having a chaotic end-to-end basketball match. Yeah, I was going to ask Charlotte, what does uh, the fact that um, without Rodri, uh, I mean, we, we knew that Guardiola wouldn't pick Calvin Phillips anyway, but um, on top of that, the fact that he didn't pick Kovacic or Nunes, what does that say about where he sees his midfield right now? Yeah, I know I was thinking about this and then I was also thinking back to Grealish's first um, season at the club and I remember him standing on the pitch after winning the league and have you probably remember him having that interview and saying how difficult he'd found it to adapt to Guardiola and what he his demands of him is so for me those two players that you've just mentioned I don't necessarily think that it's that Guardiola doesn't trust them I think that sometimes it takes new players so long to get up to speed with the demands of what's expected of you in a Guardiola team even if it's only a slight tweak the mental challenge that that gives to these footballers if they're used to playing in a certain way for so long is so difficult. So he must be seeing something in training where he thinks that they're not the best option. But it's like you said, if they're needing more control in midfield, putting an actual midfielder in there might be a really good way to do it. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, there's, a, there's another interesting angle to this, uh, Charlotte, that, that Adam raised there. That um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to su- suggest that Alvarez is a problem, but do they have a problem with him at the moment, given the style of player that he is and the kind of the role that they're asking him to play? Because he, he doesn't offer the same control as a midfielder would in, in there. But at the same time, as in, in terms of his quality, he's just he isn't going to get picked ahead of Haaland. No, he's not an attacking number eight, though, is he? And that's really what they're wanting him to be. And imagine coming into a team and if we're being honest, he's he's a striker, isn't he? And saying, can you go in there and replace one of the best attacking midfielders in the world? Like that is such a big task for someone, and it's not that's not his position, that's not his job, that's not his role. So I, I do think it is a bit harsh in terms of the judgment. In terms of is he a problem? No, he's not a problem. But it's like you say, how does he fit in in this system? Would it be better to play another actual midfielder in that? in that role leave him on the bench and then when City need a goal off like they needed a goal off the bench yesterday would it have been better if he was a substitute and you've brought Haaland off because things aren't quite working for him and you've got fresh legs and someone who you actually know can score as well off the bench I I just think maybe there's different ways for for Guardiola to tweak his system because I, I just don't see it working with Alvarez in the middle and that's not no disrespect to his talent I just think it's some task to replace Kevin De Bruyne really isn't it yeah. Um, the the other aspect of this is, uh, Adam, that Alvarez, I mean, he, he doesn't play on the wings. He can't play on the wings. Um, and so it's it's not a case of you look at, at uh, the fact that City have so few players available right now. Yeah. Like if you if you want to want to shift Foden into that role or you want to shift Bernardo into that role, you need somebody to play on the wing. And it's kind of like there's nobody else right now. Yeah, I, I thought that last night. I thought Alvarez, he, he was putting a lot of huff and puff and energy into his performance, but he wasn't impacting the game as, as much as we needed someone like a De Bruyne or a Gundogan in the middle there to just dictate play a bit. So, But then I was thinking, but who do you replace him for? So is 
it's been a bit weird recently. Like Foden seems to be the fall guy for for Guardiola's replacements, but bringing Oscar Bob on is he giving you anything different than Foden does? So there was wide areas that you're having to sacrifice to put someone in the middle. You then not got the right quality on 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 the flanks as well. So his options are limited, and this does feel very woe is me uh, with the riches that we've got as a club and as a as a squad and the talent in there, but. So we're now needing uh, square pegs in round holes and uh, it's not quite working, but I don't know what the answer is in a really rubbish answer yeah. because Alvarez just has to play, like you say, but he would have been the first name I would have hooked last night, but it's, I don't. But there's nothing else to hook him with. Yeah, it's it's not quite uh, square pegs in round holes, though, is it? It's more kind of triangular pegs being shaped into square <laughs> pegs to force into some round holes. So it's like the, the, the amount of yeah. contortions that are having to be, in, to be done, it's just like it's, it's, it's getting out of hand. Um, but- to be fair, Guardiola's very good at that, isn't he? Because if you'd said, if you if you'd have said, oh, John Stones is going to be one of your best midfielders, <laughs> you'd be all like, pardon, what are you? You've all lost the plot. So, in fairness to Guardiola, he has shown that he is very good at seeing things differently. To the not, he's not a normal person. He's on another. <laughs> he's on another planet when it comes to football and thinking. And he's seen something in Stones and thought, Do you know what? I can see where you're going to play. You're going to push further up. You're going to look inside and you, you're going to be in midfield for me. And look how effective that was. So he can't, I'm not saying we can blame him, but he's obviously seen things within Alvarez's game where he's thought, oh, maybe I could tweak your role similarly and it's not going to have the biggest effect on the team. But we're yeah. seeing that it's not quite working in the same way. Yeah, that's uh, that's one thing me and Guardiola have in common. Uh, not normal people. Um, <laughs> I, I want to finish the first part of the show. We barely touched on the Spurs game, and it kind of feels like a, a, a million miles ago now. So there's there's very little point in in digging too much into it. Um, but Adam, there was one moment towards the end of the game where uh, City might have had the chance to beat Spurs if they'd been given an advantage. Um, what are your thoughts? So now that you've calmed down, and now that they've lost to Villa, and yeah. everything's got so yeah. much worse over the course of the week, what are your thoughts now? <laughs> Uh, I was absolutely livid in the stadium at the time. I couldn't see any reason for him to pull it back. I've seen online since that, from his viewpoint, he might not have even seen Grealish, the other side of the three defenders, and assumed that Haaland had just punted it forward and was actually doing us a favour by bringing it back. But for that level, for it, for him to have an assistant... Uh, a fourth official and an assistant to be able to see that area of the pitch, it was a massive, massive... Uh, error and I think we've got a fine for failing to control our players around him during that incident and uh, hopefully just a a nice email should suffice rather than a big fine a nice email apology from us for human error on our part yeah Um, Charlotte there's there is the the one thing that I find a little odd about there about the idea that Simon Hooper might not have been able to see Jack Grealish is having heard a lot of the VAR audio over the course of of the season so far uh, the one thing that that stands out to me is that uh, the assistants on the um, on the sides are quite often always shouting things like possible offside and like surely that's like the assistant would have said something like that when when the ball was played over to to, to Grealish and so ultimately like what I come down to is, is Simon Hooper's probably just had a brain fart or if you want to, if you go into the conspiracies on the internet, then obviously there's loads of reasons why you didn't do it. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather not though, if I don't have. To. I, I, I'm not buying into those. By the way, I'm just putting it out there as what all the, everyone's been saying. I see what you do. You're chucking it out there, then then uh, washing your hands of it is yeah, what you're doing. Throw, yeah. I'm just throwing the grenade in and walking away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, th- what do you think of the of the criticism of Haaland, though, Charlotte? Because people have suggested that uh, he should look at himself for the chances that he missed and not be tweeting WTF with a, a, a video of the de- of the decision. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it can be both, can't it? He can be upset at the at the decision and at the same time annoyed with himself for not scoring. Yeah, of course he can. And also with with these things, sometimes I think a lot of the time we want uh, footballers to show that they're not robots and that they've mm. got emotions and they have personalities. And that's one thing that social media does, isn't it? I think if you go back to, I don't know, like when I was a kid growing up and whatever, these footballers, you didn't know anything about them. You obviously you saw them in the paper and whatever, but there was not that interaction. So in one aspect, we want to see what they're like and we want to see that they've got personalities and then the other aspect he's angry at something and made his his selves clear and everyone's like he needs to calm down well he couldn't be screaming in the face of the referee i get i understand that sparks the whole respect for refs debate which we seem to be having at least once a week um but the social media stuff i just it shows he's passionate it shows it shows he's human doesn't it so for, for me i didn't really see any problem with that You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. A few years ago, journalists Lou Martin and Paul Bias wrote a brilliant book outlining the inside story of Pep Guardiola's first three seasons in Manchester. In that time, City won almost everything, but the elephant in the room was that the Champions League trophy was missing. That was added to Guardiola's collection last season, and Lou and Paul have now updated their book, Pep City, The Making of a Super Team, to reflect the significance of that achievement as well. I've been speaking to Paul about the project, starting off with when he knew that they were going to have to update their work. I think it was towards like when the team was like progressing on the Champions League because uh, I mean basically it, it, it was the biggest element uh, in terms of like trying to explain something new about City or the biggest differential thing that pro- probably the club hasn't uh, still achieved and as they were like yeah just progressing on the Champions League Lou Martin, myself and like the publishers uh, yeah basically we started wondering like yeah should we do like an update should we do something about that? Uh, because we all thought that something needed to be done. Then we had like further discussions on like what should we cover? Because like there's a lot that we we haven't been covering with the book. Because I mean the book that we did just covers the first three seasons of Pep in Manchester, which is not I mean which is a lot and like a lot happened in there. But there was still like three more years coming. Um, but yeah, I mean just to keep it like more simple and just to keep it straight and just to um, make clear what was like the biggest difference in our opinion, which was last season and like getting the travel and the way that they did it. Uh, we just decided to do an update of last season, just explain like inside the stories of what happened last season, the good moments, the bad moments and what shaped the team uh, to, yeah, basically to, to become the travel winners. And that's what we have here. Yeah, and when you when you compare last season to, I mean, the the period that you originally wrote about, you look at uh, at those, especially the second uh, season and third season under Guardiola, and the, the 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 team he created. I mean, so much has changed since then as well, and you've kind of got to you kind of got to weave all that in as well. Um, but it, it, it always felt like the Champions League was missing in that sense, and it's. it's I, I guess you can say that now that they've actually gone and won it. But but w- w- was that kind of one of the prime motivations behind that? Yeah, yeah, that was one of the, one of the prime motivations, basically and mainly, 
Because, I mean, and I know that, uh, like, inside City, everyone was saying, no, no, that, that Champions League is not an obsession. And I don't think that obsession was the word. But every time that champion, that the Champions League game was coming into, into City, like, inside the first team building at the City Football Academy, everything was different. Like, they knew that this was the competition where they wanted to get big. Um, I, they knew that all the English fan base, like, gives a lot of credit to the Premier League and, like... Um, yeah, it's probably like the main competition that uh, a lot of English fans want to win. But inside the club, uh, coaching staff and even like the players, they they grew within like this feeling of like we need to win the Champions League to make this cycle of players, this era of players, like a time-defining one. And that was a thing that they had inside themselves. Um, and it's something that we could sense, like throughout, like all the last season, and when we spoke with all the sources that we've spoken, mo- 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 most of them, or like a lot of them, um, were like captured after the Istanbul success, and you could sense like this sort of like relief that we've done it, we've we've gone where we wanted to go, and we've done it in the way that we wanted to. Um, so I think that it's sort of like re- revealing of how all the process has been, in my opinion. Yeah, what what was the sense you were getting from uh, people around Guardiola, and I, I guess Guardiola himself, about um, kind of almost finally having done it? Was it was it a case of relief, or was it just kind of jubilation? Was it enjoyment? What, what was it? It's just like a sense of relief. I think that if we speak about Pep Guardiola, it's, it was just a thing of like a payback, just to give the club back what he felt that the club has given to him. Which is like the trust of Caldun and the trust of like Ferran Soriano and Chiqui Begiristain. I think that deep down Pep Guardiola knows that Ferran Soriano and, and Chiqui Begiristain arrived to Man City at some point to bring him in, at this football club sooner or, or later. That's what they did because they expected that with Pep Guardiola they could lift the club to a very next level in like, yeah, international terms and like the perception and the pedigree that, that it all has. And I don't think that Pep Guardiola will rate his job in a bigger way after the Champions League success. But, yeah, basically, I think that there was a sort of validation in him. Um, I can remember, like, a quote that, yeah, a person really close to him told us of the record that um, winning doesn't, yeah, winning doesn't make you a better manager, but it does justify you. It does justify what we have done over all these years. Um, and it just like make us and the fans and the club and the property feel better, which is at the end is what they wanted to. Yeah, and uh, when you look at, at kind of going into that Champions League final, I mean, uh, having having read the the updates, I'm I, I'm I'm really quite staggered by the confidence that that seems yeah. to be in, in in the squad. I mean, like like the, the, like looking from the outside in, I was I, I was all a bag of nerves. Like they, they, yeah, they've yeah. got they've got to win one game to get the treble, and like from everything from the inside, it just seems like they were just so confident they were going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's honestly the thing that it surprised me the most too. Um, just seeing like how confident Pep was on the days ahead of the final and the coaching staff and even the players. There was like this sense. I mean, the like the title of the chapter is like it was our season. Um, and and that 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 just was the feeling um, that it had to be this season. That everything was happening for them to win this. Um, and yeah, they were like sort of. I, I, I think it's also like a consequence of the pain that they've suffered over the last years in the Champions League. Like the loss against Real Madrid, the loss in Portugal in the COVID season, um, the Tottenham game, um, 
all this sort of stuff. Like, yeah, um, this team was like made of like U- European traumas, if you want to call it that way. And yeah, it, it it just made like their 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 skin like thicker. Um, and yeah, it it made the impossible, which is like made Pep Guardiola like sort of chilled and quiet after a massive game like this. Yeah, I mean, when you when you think of um, kind of Guardiola and his character as well, are you are you a little bit surprised that kind of like the story will continue that he will that he that he is carrying on because it, it it almost feels like he needed the Champions League to complete what he was doing in Manchester and it almost is like the nice ending and now now there's there, there's kind of still more to come if that makes sense yeah yeah no I, I think that Pep has changed from the day one that he arrives in Manchester and now um, I think that in the way that he approaches his job He's changed a lot of things in the man management. He knows how to. I, I mean, he still spends like twenty-five hours a day in the City Football Academy. That's that's something that uh, probably will never change. But like, I I'd say that he knows how to do things to like be less like um, tiring for for him, so he can like continue working in the way that he wants to do. Um, and yeah, I think that after winning the Champions League, like there is a lot of sense of like giving the club the things that they still don't have, which is the European Super Cup that, that they won against Sevilla uh, in Greece this summer. And there's like high hopes on the club's World Cup that is coming um, in some weeks. Uh, so it's like a sort of a priority, I guess, for, for the backroom staff and for everyone involved in the club, yeah, just to make sure that the club takes this opportunity to win all the trophies that they can. Um, and that they deserve to win after um, this long-awaited Champions League trophy. Yeah, given given kind of what you've been hearing and and uh, kind of the people you've been speaking to, uh, would it surprise you if he decided to stay longer again, or do you, do you get the sense that his time is coming to a close soon? <laughs> I I still have the feeling that Pep Guardiola will not find another football club where he is as good as he is at Manchester City and where he can work as he works at Man City. That's that's the only thing that maybe like Man City fans who like still dream like in a potential extension have to rely on, like seeing Pep that he's in a healthy environment, like in a really in a place that gets really comfortable work wise. But the very same time, like I would say, I mean, if you ask me like for my personal opinion, and that's more like opinion than information, I would say that he's closer to the end than to extend his contract because mm-hmm. like nine year, nine years is going to be a lot of years. Um. Plus, I don't see Pep, even like for his personal situation, like at home, uh, like his family situation. I, I think that at some point he wants to like, yeah, have a step back and just just have some time just to relax, to switch off a bit and come back with like recharge energies. Um, and I think that in Manchester, as long as he's like really good, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong and he's going to extend his contract. I don't really know. But if, if I had to bet now, uh, somehow, I would say that he's closer to the end rather than to an extension of contract. Yeah. Um, just looking at a, a few other kind of contributing factors to, to last season as well. Um, obviously, last season was uh, City's first with with Erling Haaland and he he was the, the superstar signing over the summer. That, it, it, that in many ways, the club hasn't really done in, in previous years. He's kind of like the first like of the big names that they've gone to get when they've been a big name. Yeah. Um, 
how how much of an influence was was he on the on the treble, and how much did did Guardiola have to work to be able to come up with a way for City to play with him in the team? No, he had a massive influence, but the key of his influence is that he came into the club without this superstar pedigree that we might expect. Um, the way that he settled into that dressing room um, was like really surprising for a lot of like people, even players. And like the coaching staff itself, like seeing, I mean, he was like a young kid, like an academy kid going into a dressing room where he doesn't want to step up into the shoes of like a more respected player, like respecting all the, basically, yeah, basically all the, um, all the big names that all the big guns that this dressing room had. And yeah, just, just the way that he settled in was like really, really telling. And I, I mean, I can remember like speaking to, to, to the to the coaching staff and to Pep like the very early stages of the season and he was like wow um, I didn't expect this kid like not just to be this humble but yeah just to learn like the culture of a dressing room so quick and just to not put any problem to anything um, and that's the thing that Pep Guardiola gives a lot of importance to I mean I think that we all know um, how his relationship with this Latin Ibrahimovic in Barcelona went and this was partly because of how he won of how he tried to settle inside the dressing room, how he wanted to be the big star, and how like the dealing with Lionel Messi ended up with like Slatan Ibrahimovic being out of the club. Um, but early Haaland was like a totally different thing. Like City got like a superstar striker in the prime of his career, or not in the prime, but like like um, giving the best years probably of his future career to to Man City. But at the same time knowing and, and learning that getting into such a big team or one of the best teams in, in Europe required from him like some sort of adaptation uh, character-wise. And that was really good for the team, for the squad. And yeah, I think that we've seen that this psychological side of things and like man, manage, man management side of things is like crucial for Pep as we saw with the Cancelo thing, with the Cancelo episode. Um, and yeah, then inside the football pitch, I mean... Pep like insists that he didn't need to do much to to make Haaland tick because all his will and all his yeah all his desire to succeed was like there and yeah it it, it was just a matter of like put all the good players together. Yeah, you you mentioned Cancelo, um, and it's it, it's funny because you you look at I remember we I mean we were doing podcasts at the start of last season, kind of talking about how how things didn't quite feel right and it didn't look like things were going particularly well not yeah. going badly but not going well and you kind of you kind of look to how the season ended for city i mean even even in the at the end of january when cancelo moved on like those that the, there was real real sort of from the outside questions of what on earth is going on here what was yeah, it like yeah. on the inside i mean on the inside i mean it was a bit yeah well, it was a bit tough i mean the dressing room harmony like suffered like some blows by this Cancelo thing, there were also like more like senior figures in the dressing room that were not having like minutes, maybe because they had like a deep of form or or because they came back from the World Cup like, yeah, just like needing a fresh bit of air. Or I can remember like the emergence of like Rico Lewis on that time of the year that possibly Rico Lewis was one of the reasons why Cancelo started playing less and less minutes and eventually left the club. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that in football, I mean, we romanticize a lot the fact that if if everything goes well and if in dressing, like dressing room-wise you do things well, you're going to end up winning. That's not the case. I mean, that's not the case. Um, 
things can be like a bit tricky at some point and and still like on the pitch you can do things and I, I think that probably there has been seasons I would say that two seasons ago um, the season where Real Madrid did did this renowned comeback against yeah, the, the the thing <laughs> yeah yeah I didn't want to mention it too much because it's it's painful for me for like the both ends but I think that in that season I mean if we recall the fact and how everything went like it was more a harmonic thing inside the dressing room and how the team developed and how the team played they were playing really well it was more like harmonic than last seasons in my opinion but yeah somehow like in I think it was in January in February after the World Cup like things were a bit like mm, it doesn't really look like well, uh, but then, like one another of the things that this re- that this re- dressing room has, in my opinion, and that this team has, is that as long as any problem might be like on the outside, if you make it up inside the football pitch, it all ends up being resolved. So it's a group of players that they want to win and they want to play and they want to do things well, and and if they feel good inside the football pitch, it's easier to solve any sort of problem like outside the pitch. And I think that another like example of this is Kyle Walker, which was another player that wasn't playing a lot in that stage of the season. Um, actually, he didn't play. He, he didn't start on the Champions League final, but yeah, it was like for a tactical reason, like a tactical reasoning by Pep. But yeah, Kyle Walker, like at some point was able like to overcome like all the difficulties that he found himself in and he decided to stay and to extend his contract at Man City because he thought that it was the best place for him to like to stay and just to keep progressing as a footballer. So yeah, I think that all the this dressing room problems like with Cancelo, with Walker, get at the end like were 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 sort of resolved firstly by seeing Cancelo go and secondly by starting winning games, which is what makes this team like tick and keep happy basically yeah how i mean obviously it's it, it's easy to compare trophy wise um the the kind of different eras of of guardiola city um but how does how do you think last season's team as a as a complete unit and kind of like the style of football they played how does that compare to the one that you originally wrote about um the the few years before i think they are different in terms of individualities um i i still think there's like possibly because i like remember so much the first years of Pep here in Manchester, but I still think that the city that played the best football was the false nine city, in my opinion. Um, like Erling Haaland provides like a different edge. That's like a different level. And like we, we, we saw last season that inside of the box, he had something that City had been missing for a lot of years, which is like you create a lot of opportunities, but you need the guy just to put them into the back of the net. Um, but yeah, I think that yeah, just the main thing of Pep is that like with different indi- individualities, like the the essence and the soul was still the same, and the basics were were still the same. Um, I think that Pep also like managed to evolve, or a lot of players managed to evolve and to grow within Pep's idea. And I I don't think you now with the likes of Bernardo Silva, when we wrote the book, Bernardo Silva was like. Well, he started to be like a really good player, but he wasn't like the player that he is right now. Bernardo Silva can play just anywhere in a football pitch because he understands everything that Pep Guardiola wants to do in a football pitch. And back then when we wrote the book, he wasn't that player. Rodri, when we wrote the book, 
he wasn't the player that he is today. So it's been a matter as well of like players like learning and improving and building on what Pep Guardiola asked on them, basically. Um, yeah, and then like having a supernatural force like Erling Haaland, which somehow like made City adjust a bit their 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 style of play. But I'd say that the basics were just like the same. Probably like yeah, if 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 you speak like to anyone from the tactical side of things, they are gonna say that I don't know, maybe Pep used like a double pivot more usually than than in other times at City, but yeah, the way of playing was basically the same. Yeah, um, I'm going to finish with uh, a little naughty question now, given uh, the given City's recent form. Um, obviously, you're not covering the club uh, as much as you used to. Um, do you think they could do it? Can they? Can they? Do, can they do four in a row? Do you think this is, uh, the, or, or do you think it's a, a challenge this season that uh, there is a reason why no team has ever done four in a row before? So, uh, do you think it's too much of a challenge? Where, where do you think this season could go? No, no, I think they can do it. I think they can do it. Yeah, yeah. I think that they are playing really well. I, I understand. I, I mean, I, I don't cover the club. But I follow like almost every game, um, and I think that all the debates about like the tempo of the game, if City is like able to control the games as, as they used to do, they are legitimate. Like given like the last number of results, but the way they play is like really good still. Um, they just need to finesse like yeah, just some sort of details. I think honestly. Um, if you compare the current team to the team that arrived to the Istanbul final, and that's that's not a dig to anyone because that's part of a process of like regenerating a football team. But I think it's a worse football team because you you have you haven't had like John Stone for a long period. You don't have Kevin De Bruyne, and you've had to substitute them with like Julian Alvarez, who's been amazing, but he he's had like to learn a new job basically. And you've lost Gundogan, who. We all know who who Ilkay Gundogan is, so like yeah, just just an, just a, analyzing these facts, like City is like a worse team, like 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 with individuals. But even with that, they have done like enough merits, or they probably would deserve like more points than than the ones that they they have. So at the end, I would suggest that this is a good sign, seeing the team alive in the way they play. Um, there's things to fix. Um, but yeah, I don't think that they have like their stomach full, as as we would say in Spain, that they don't want to win anymore. They still have this desire, but yeah, sometimes things doesn't work out as you want. And as we were mentioning, like last season, even last season, that now we remember it as like the best season probably in City's history. There were moments where we thought, mm, this is not looking great. So they might be going through the same phase. Uh, the important thing is that they don't l- lose the basics, and that the the way, yeah, and that the team looks alive basically. Uh, and I think that they do. And it's just a matter of like, yeah, uh, being more lucky and like improving things. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Paul Byers speaking to me about his updated book, Pep City, The Making of a Super Team, and it's competition time now. Four lucky Blue Moon podcast listeners will win a copy of the book, and I can honestly say that the level of detail in it is phenomenal. So uh, this really would be a nice early Christmas gift. Uh, And we've got the easiest competition question ever in the world right now. All we want you to do is tell us which City player scored the winning goal in last season's Champions League final. The answer is obviously Rodri. So just send that in an email with your full name, postal address, and phone number to bluemoonpodcast at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. There really is no point in not telling you the answer because if you're listening to this, you know the answer to the question. So just a reminder, send Rodri and your full name, postal address <laughs> and phone number to bloomingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, your email's got to get to us before 11 p.m. UK time next Wednesday. That's the 13th of December. And once more, that email address is bloomingpodcast at gmail.com. Um, time to look ahead to the games with Luton and Red Star now. Um, Adam, Luton against Arsenal uh, mm. earlier in the week, given the way that City have been playing uh, recently and the way that game went, it feels like yeah. this one might not be the easy sort of end, bookend to the run of form that some would be hoping for. No, I think um, I'm expecting this Luton game to be like the Southampton game in December 2020. And that was after... A, a run of two draws and that felt like a mini crisis at the time <laughs> but we did what we needed to do to get a win and then that kick-started a run of 21 wins so I'm hoping something similar uh, I, I watched uh, Liverpool at Luton I watched Arsenal at Luton and I watched Luton at United and you know Liverpool drew one all United only scraped past them 1-0 I know that's not as screamingly uh, <laughs> obvious nowadays um, but yeah I, I think they're capable of scoring goals at home they scored three midweek. They scored against Liverpool. So, and it's a tight pitch. We don't really do well when we've not got a big, expansive surface to play on. So, and I, I know this is a bit a tight one. Yeah, and I know this is a bit say the line, Bart. But um, go on. What's the clean sheet stat that City have had? You've 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 oh, been tweeting yeah, it. Yeah, peddled it a few times. Yeah, five clean sheets in twenty-three this season. So, yeah. I think. I, I'd love this to be the game where we put that to bed, but I can't see it. Yeah, put the house on a loot and goal at least. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny, Charlotte. Do you remember the days when people used to say that City were too boring and, and Guardiola should try opening games up a bit more? And right now I can't think of anything that I want to see less. He should <laughs> shut this game down immediately. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm all here for it. It's far more entertaining, <laughs> isn't it? Especially when they just seem to let te- the Tottenham game was absolutely wild. It was just mm. from end one end to the other, wasn't it? So, I just think going to Luton, obviously, they're going to feel hard, really hard done by by the Arsenal result, and going there off the back of form that they're in, and. That their performance was, I think the, the performance against you can point to problems in the performance against Tottenham for example but I think the, it was the performance last night for me that was really alarming I just I think they were so off it um, maybe a lot of that was uh, down to how good Villa played and obviously Luton aren't on the same level as Aston Villa but it's another difficult place to go away and Guardiola was talking in his press conference about dynamics and how he needs to you know, he does that thing with his fingers, doesn't he? Like find the, like he's rubbing his fingers together. Like he needs to find something. He needs, he said he needs to find the dynamic to get them winning again. And it was said, how do you do that? What do you think the answer to that is? And his reply was, he doesn't know yet. So <laughs> he said, um, did he say I have, I've got to sleep on it or something like that? Yeah. So yeah. it's so that was Wednesday. I'm losing track of all days. There's so many games at the moment. <laughs> um, that that was Wednesday. Wednesday night he said that so there's really not a long time for him to I know he's a master but there's not a lot of, a long time for him to conjure up some miraculous plan to cut, get back to winning ways so yeah. I, I think it'll be an interesting game but I, I think Luton if they look at their performance against Arsenal and they look at City's last four performances I think they'll really fancy their chances. Yeah, Adam, the the way that uh, Guardiola was speaking after Villa, and as Charlotte says there, that kind of that sense of he has to go away and analyze it. He said he does say all the time 
that uh, interviews post-match are not his favourite thing to do because they he's not had time to kind of digest when, but what, what's just happened. And sometimes he sees things better after a night's sleep. Um, he's obviously had a night's sleep now. Uh, are you are you confident that he can he can come up with something? Yeah, I think uh, Charlotte alluded to it earlier about how he always finds a way. Um, I'm just wondering whether I would have expected him to find a way sooner, but I'm, I'm giving him the context of the <laughs> three, difficult Three opposition. games ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And he, he is a miracle worker, so chop, chop. But um, I think when you have runs like that, the players who don't play have the best performances because you're looking at Grealish, you're looking at Rodri, and you're thinking... They're our saviours now. All of a sudden, they come in. Does Doku recover from his his slight injury? And do they become three absolute saviours that are getting us out of this funk? Um, So I think he's going to have to tinker the personnel. And I think, obviously, being hampered by the suspensions and now no longer being hampered by those, I think just gives us a little bit of a fresh injection. Even though it's mad, a week's a long time in football. They've only missed one game, but it would feel like an absolute lift if you're getting Grealish, Doku and Rodri uh, available for selection. So I think that might help him out. Yeah. Charlotte, do you think all, all three of them will come in? Because the, the idea is that we've had all season is that it's Grealish or Doku. But I, I kind of get the sense that, that that it might be time for Grealish and Doku. Maybe Grealish could, I don't know, do the hybrid midfield role that we keep talking about and just leave Doku out, out on the... Because I was having this debate with someone the other day because we had to debate whether... It's that you say, should it be one or the other? But for me, they're saying as Doku like finished Grealish at City, which is obviously such a ridiculous question. They just bring totally different things to the team, don't they? Like Grealish actually brings a lot of control to the team and you see Guardiola bringing him on when they need to see games out, which is su- such a different role to the one that he played when he was at Aston Villa. Mm. Whereas Doku is that flair, attacking, exciting player that takes on defenders, isn't he? And that's the role that he's been given. So if they're looking for more control... I think Jack Grealish is the sort of player that, that they need to bring into that midfield. So maybe that'll be the small... Maybe we can say that we gave Guardiola the idea, see? I mean, we could, master, we, could just, but... we could just say it anyway. <laughs> like, like, who, who would know, really? If we, we just pretended we said it to him, then yeah, we crack on yeah. and, and take the credit. Adam, um, obviously the, the other name there that's, that's back is Rodri. Um, it's, mm. it's almost a case of, uh, I can't stay mad at you because like, like he's so <laughs> desperately needed. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I alluded to earlier as well. It's a bit frustrating that we are so reliant on him, but it just outlines or underlines his absolute importance to the side. I think every team would fancy playing against us without Rodri in our lineup. So it almost gives the team, the, the opposition, a, a leg up to, you know, we can really get at City without Rodri. So I think him coming back will just give us the flip side of that, which would be a massive lift. And I'd like to see and Rodri in midfield because I think Stones missed him against Villa and it was evident that he was coming back from an injury. He looked a bit leggy and I hope we see a different Stones in midfield against Luton alongside Rodri and I think that should be enough just to see us through. We don't need to go swashbuckling like I say, we just need control and I think Stones and Rodri might be that extra leg in midfield that helps us and I like Charlotte's suggestion of Grealish becoming that kind of advanced eight role and I think we've wanted to see that for a while so I'd opt for that. Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
Well, uh, the other thing that's been a while is City actually going to Luton. It's 25 years ago last week that the two sides last met at Kenilworth Road. Uh, that was in City's only ever season in the third tier. And this weekend, Luton will become the ninth team that City have faced in both the Premier League and in Division 2. Adam, uh, can you name any of the, uh, the, other, the, the other eight? Just off the uh, top of your head. Uh, no, you've absolutely thrown me that. And I'm, I'm, I'm rubbish without my spreadsheet. So, yeah, I thought you'd uh, say that. <laughs> they are uh, Fulham, Wigan, Bournemouth, Stoke, Reading, Luton now, Blackpool, Burnley and Oldham. So uh, so there you go. Another one uh, another one added to the list. Um, to find out how their season started, though, I've been speaking to Ollie from the We Are Luton Town podcast. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's been a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, especially at home where our performances have been very good. But unfortunately, we don't have the points to go with the performances that we've put in. Um, In terms of playing in the Premier League, I have to say, I'm not... I I, I enjoy going to the games. What I'm not enjoying are the... uh, the sofa dwelling fan bases in the premier league, you know, all the, all these Twitter experts who have never been to a game in their life. And they're busy telling you about your team, calling you trash, calling, calling you God knows what, you know, uh, and they, they just haven't got a clue. They haven't educated themselves about the journey that Luton town have been on. So I've been, I've been following Luton for three decades and I've seen everything. I've seen six promotions, six relegations, and I am comfortable with exactly where we are. I knew that coming into the Premier League, we weren't going to just storm up the table and be competing for Europe. I knew that we had a battle on our hands this season, and we'd be scrapping it out at the bottom. But from the teams at the bottom... The teams that we played, we played Wolves, we played Fulham, um, we we played we played Burnley, uh, we played Forest. I feel we've been so unlucky because in all those games we have been the better team, but we, we've been punished by our lack of clinical edge, which is coming. Like we're only um, we're only fifteen games into the Premier League, and I feel that because this is our first time in the Premier League, we're still, we're only just now getting to grips with it. And as you saw in the game against Arsenal, we can mix it. But when when we're at home, we do very well. We, we bring the chaos. We make it a high pressure game. Teams, when they come to the Kenny, they know they're in for a game. When, when we're away from home, that's the problem. We we start, we sit off teams. We give them far too much respect. We we let ourselves get torn apart. As you've seen with Aston Villa, the way they are, uh, I'd say Villa was probably our worst performance, closely followed by Brentford. But other than that, other than, I'm, I'm disregarding the first two games against Brighton and Chelsea because we were getting to grips with, with those first two games. We. All our, all our games have been incredibly tight affairs. We've only lost by one goal when we've lost, other than the Brentford the, the, uh, the, and the first two games and, and the Aston Villa game. They've all been tight. And I feel, I feel there's so much more to come from Luton Town. There really is. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, before we get into the weekend's game, um, just give us a little bit of an idea of the journey that you've been on, because when like the city fans of a, of a certain vintage, who um, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, will absolutely despise Luton Town. Of because course, of, yeah, because uh, David, yeah, yeah, David Play <laughs> skipping on the pitch, all all of that, all of that. Um, but at the same time, um, I mean, I'd, I'd not even considered it, but I, I, I reckon there's there's more in common with the clubs than I think people would realise, given the journey that City went on in the 90s down into the into the third tier. I mean, your journey was mm. was a little bit more um, scenic than City's, let's say. Uh, but, I mean, just just give us an idea of what it's been like to, to drop as far as you did and then um, kind of climb back up again. Well, so I, I remember that game in 99 against City. Like, you had a great team and Main Road is great. I didn't go to the Main Road game, but I saw City at the Kenny. Um, oh, Sean Gota, what a player he was. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, that, that, that team, that team was good. I think you went up that year. Um, and we were still languishing. What, what, what's the journey been like? Oh, well, uh, it, in hindsight, looking back at it now, I'll tell you what, it's great. It's great yeah. now. Um, it's good knowing it turns out all right in the end, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's nice being a model of a club that other smaller clubs aspire to be like. Obviously, when we relegated you in, um, I think it was 1983, uh, so we got promoted in 81, 82, and then 82, 83 was that famous pleat on the pitch and teach scoring the last minute goal that relegated Man City. So we enjoyed a decade in the top flight then. We got relegated in 91, 92, which was the season before it became the Premier League. We actually were one of the founding members of the Premier League. And from from 91-92, from 1992, it was just a down, it was a gradual slope down to what is now known as League Two. Um, it was Division Three when we eventually got there. Um, and we picked ourselves up a bit. We played some fantastic football. We had Joe Kinnear as manager, who's well-known, amongst Premier League fans for his time at Wimbledon. Uh, we had two seasons of Joe. Um, and he put the um, he sort of put the, the backbone in place that took us up to the championship and then financial misdemeanors and 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 issues. Um, I don't know if you've been following the news about this Tottenham uh, malarkey that's been going on about their signing of Jermaine Defoe. So that happened the same season that Luton Town were deducted 10 points for exactly the same thing and it, it's mad that this has all come to light and uh Luton were punished so heavily for that at the time although that wasn't even our worst punishment everyone's decrying about Everton's 10 point deduction you know try again deducted 40 points in an eight month period now that was I mean you, you say try it we might be we might be trying it who knows what the, <laughs> what, what, what the independent <laughs> panel's gonna rule so let's let, let's hold our horses on that one <laughs> um but that, then you know, when we were deducted uh, the the second round of point deductions, the thirty points that uh, we were in League Two at that point, we had consecutive back to back to back relegations. Like you know how Man City have won the title in back to back to back leagues, we got relegated. Uh, you know, three seasons on the spin, it was very depressing. And uh, starting a season with minus thirty, uh, essentially, you know, you're going down before a ball's even been kicked. Fortunately, we picked up some silverware. We we beat Scunthorpe in the um, in the 
Oh god, don't know what to call it. The Johnston Paint Trophy final, which is I think, the I think me and you know trophy. it as the auto windshield stuff. Is that? Oh, it? I was going to call yeah. it the LDV vans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, we won the ldv vans and then five years in the in the non-league you know i don't like to think about it fortunately at that time i was actually living in scotland so i only got to go to the the northern games you know your gates heads and whatnot um so where when when i came back that was when luton made it back into the league and um and then it was a slower rise to the top I say slow. It took a decade, which is still absolutely mind-boggling, and I think it's one of the fastest uh, journeys to the top league that uh, has happened in English football history. It's re- really, it, it's it's incredible stuff when you're when you're living it. You don't really feel it when you're you know in the in the present at the time when it was happening. You didn't really feel it because we had all the all the worries about our first season in League Two when we were so close to the playoffs and next season we sort of dropped off and then our first season back in the championship, it was sort of like this, you know, we, we were scrapping out, but we were actually in the relegation zone. We were we were really struggling and it took us, you know, a good season to get to grips with it. And there was that famous escape with Nathan Jones, like the final 10 games where we only lost once and I managed to stay up. And then the COVID season where we finished 12th and then, straight into the playoffs season after. And then after that, we win the playoffs and we're in the Premier League. It's, you know, just talking about three decades of Luton football history and condensing it down to that. There's been so much more with terrible, crooked owners, real villains associated with the club that, you know, can't even scratch the surface of. Um, Like if if listeners want a, a funny story, look up, Manager Idol, that's a great one. There's a whole documentary about it. It's about how we picked the successor to Joe Kinnear in a rigged managerial <laughs> phone vote. Excellent. Um, I mean, that all of that aside, though, now you are back in the Premier League. You're playing City on uh, on Sunday at, uh, at Kenilworth Road. Um, what will it be like there? What, what can City fans going to Kenilworth Road expect from this game? Because uh, your game's at home this season. Um, I mean, you mentioned it before, your home form um, is, well, your home performance has certainly been pretty good. They have been very good. Um, well, Man City fans can expect a lot of noise. Um, that they will find a um, an atmosphere that will be very alien to them because having gone to a lot of other um, home grounds, uh, up, away games for me, um, the atmosphere in the Premier League is absolute. It's terrible. It really is. Um, so I feel the Man City fans, I hope they bring their voices because they're going to be in a few singing competitions with, uh, with, with Luton fans. Um, on the pitch... They're they're gonna they're gonna be sitting right next to a beautiful new stands that uh, we built in the space of thirteen weeks in in the in the summer, which uh, it looks really nice. You know, it's it's no Etihad, but it's uh, it's very nice and boasts the longest gantry in world football. I've been told, <laughs> uh, longest press gantry is it's good stuff. Um, but on the pitch, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tight competitive game. Um, we're, we're going to be, well, we're going to be getting stuck in as much as we can in the Premier League, considering players love flopping to the floor. So uh, we'll, we'll try and be as physical as we can. Um, they're they're going to be coming toe-to-toe with 
a rejuvenated Ross Barkley. Now, oh, I, I, I could talk for about an hour about Ross Barkley. Um, there, there have been widespread debates amongst the Luton Town fan base about whether he is the best player we've ever had play for us. Um, a lot of the older fans are obviously skewed towards Ricky Hill because of the stuff that Ricky would do with the ball. But certainly in my time watching Luton, he it looks like Ross Barkley's going to go down as one of the best that, well, probably the best that I've ever seen playing for Luton. Um, there's going to be a lot of pace, a lot of pace down the sides. Um, I'm sure, I, I don't know if you've heard of Chidozi Ogbene. So he's an Irish international. He's clocked the fastest speed in the Premier League this season. Um, he's faster than Carl Walker. So, I feel there are going to be some absolutely stonking foot races down the uh, down our left side, down your right side. Um, so if you're playing a high line, there's going to be a lot of joy for Luton where, when we can break because we break fast. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the Liverpool goal, uh, the, the, the game uh, that um, Liverpool scored against us in the 96th minute. Um, to level the game, but that is a typical Luton goal. Uh, it's sort of like the Man United of old. You know how they used to play with the fast breaks. That's yeah. what we did. It was Barkley bringing it out. He he passes it out to uh, Izakabore, who unfortunately will be missing from the game. Um, he because he's on loan from yourselves, uh, and then he swung it into Tahith Chong, and and we were from one end of the pitch to the other in under six seconds. It was rapid. Uh, so that, that's, you know, that's how it's going to be. We're going to stay tight and compact and we're going to try and hit you when uh, we're going to try and hit on the break and we're going to be very disciplined. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Ollie from We Are Luton Town. Um, Adam, I'm sure you will be delighted to hear him say that they are a team that breaks with pace and exploits space in behind and likes a good chaotic game in a rowdy atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, and without sounding like the patronising bigger club supporter, we are their cup final as well. They've played well against Arsenal, played well against Liverpool. When City come to town, it's it's another you know circus of atmosphere and you know just everyone turns up for that so i'm expecting a hostile atmosphere we just need to see the game out and that's so weird talking about city treble winners against newly promoted luton but just get me out of that place with a win <laughs> but, it's, but that's the thing isn't it it's almost like any win right now charlotte just like, yeah. like just city just need to win a game yeah and like Adam said, he wants to to see a bit of control in the game, but I'm actually all here for the swashbuckling, <laughs> exciting <laughs> drama. Yeah, but um, you're not a City fan, so it's like, it's, that's no, not I'm, allowed. Yeah, exa- exactly, I'm impartial, so I just want to turn the TV on and see a really exciting game. So, um, yeah, it's it is. It's a win by any means possible, even if it goes back to what people, were like how you said before, when people used to say City were boring, even if it means going back to that, and even if they win by one goal, as long as they win, it doesn't have to be the most dominant, impressive display that's ever been shown under Guardiola. It just it, they just need to get back to winning ways, really. 
Yeah, and then uh, it's Red Star in midweek after that, Adam. Uh, I am literally just paying it lip service because it is the deadest of dead rubber games. Um, oh, thank you. I'm going I, to uh, that. Oh, I mean, thanks so much. I, I'm not going to lie, Charlotte, <laughs> rather you than me. Um, I, I, I don't fancy it. It's, it's come in the middle of December. It's, you know, Belgrade is not going to be a warm place at that time. A, mm. a game that means absolutely nothing. Um, Adam, I hope that I don't know if you agree with me here, but I hope that I've never heard of the eleven players that play in that game. <laughs> yeah, I think he's got to chuck it, hasn't he? I mean, I'd like us to win just so we can have the stat of winning all our Champions League group games for the first time. Uh, so that's what I'm hoping for. But I'm hoping Oscar Bob will get a run out rather than coming on in weird minutes of the game when there's something or nothing to play for. So I'm expecting Rico Lewis to start and maybe I'd love a nice little captain of the of the team as a little nod to how he's done um but yeah Ortega will be in net won't he it'll be yeah. much recycled if team if you've got a squad that is ravaged by injuries and full of fatigue yeah. then Charlotte you just need to rotate it don't you you need to put like in a game that, that they don't need to win and like the result doesn't matter you've just got to make sure that you, you you get some rest into the players that need rest yeah definitely but I think it'll be all about balance because especially if they don't win against Luton at the weekend, that being the next game, I know it's a dead rubber. I know it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter if they went there and lost 4-0. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't have any impact on anything. But I just think for the mentality and if they don't win at the weekend at Luton, it just puts more pressure on that game. And do you want to chuck a load of kids? Imagine chucking a load of kids into it and they come out and win 3 0, and everyone's like, oh, start them in the Premier League at the weekend because the first team aren't doing it. So I just think a, a healthy balance, just so they go there, they get the job done properly, 100% record through to the knockouts easy yeah do you remember adam uh the game that pellegrini threw at chelsea and uh yeah. did, did, did city take the lead in that yeah after david foul paula scored yeah. i'd never even heard of him before that game so no, not heard of him since yeah, <laughs> yeah no exactly i think i think i had to add about 10 new players to the database that day uh <laughs> yeah, so they've, they've all got one appearance <laughs> yeah exactly and it's that game yeah but yeah i think needs must at this stage yeah, what's what's most important? Clean sheet or scoring chances? And that's that's kind of over the over the next two games rather than um, just clean, red stuff. Clean clean sheet for me, just to build on that foundation. Boring clean sheets. Yeah, but Charlotte scoring chances. You want you want Haaland back amongst the goals. Yeah, don't? I do. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. for Haaland hat trick. No, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but Adam's right because you. It's been uncharacteristic, hasn't it, to see City concede so many chances and. They always score. Obviously, the analysis yesterday, but if it wasn't for that really exceptional double save from Emmy Martinez, they would have scored. But the problem that they've got is that they are conceding far too many chances. So if they can go back to basics and what everyone expects of Manchester City, then I think that's going to boost their chances and their confidence more. Yeah. Um, right. Well, good luck on this, uh, everybody, because uh, there's been no wins on the charity bet for a while now. Kind of like City on the pitch. Uh, but let's hope that both of those things are going to change this week. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles on City's games. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank support group, who, thanks to your help, have had their biggest ever collection. That was ahead of the Spurs game, uh, helping to support Manchester Central Food Bank. Um, I mean... God help you on this one because no idea what's going to happen over the course of the next two games. Uh, we'll start with you, Adam. What have you gone for for Luton? Uh, they'll be giddy, so they'll definitely score. So I've gone for a slender 2 1 to City. 2 1 City is 10 to 1 and 100 pounds. And go on, give us your Red Star prediction while you're there. Uh, just a scraped 1 0, clean sheet, just 
yeah, just some young unnamed player to get the goal. That'd be nice. Yeah, miscellaneous player one uh, with the winning <laughs> yeah, goal. Uh, Trialist day. <laughs> yeah, uh, nine to one if you're right. Ninety quid. Uh, Charlotte, what are you having for Luton? That's going to be me frantically research, doing a lot of research. Yeah, yeah, at, definitely. Uh, when, when, in like the 80th minute when someone comes on that none of us have heard of. Yeah, spot, definitely. So thank you for that. Um, for, <laughs> for Luton, I've, I, I'm actually going to disappoint you both because I have gone two all draw. Two all draw. Uh, I, I mean, if it happens, then uh, you'll at least raise 280 quid for the charity. 28 to 1 if you're right. That'd be great. Um, and mm. for Red Star? 2-0 win for City. 2-0 City is 13-2 to two and £65 if you're right. Um, I've gone for a 3-2 win at Luton because I can't see anything other than an end-to-end uh, game. And that's 33-1 to one and £330 if I'm right. Uh, and then I've gone for a one-all in uh, in Belgrade. So 11-1 to one and £110 if I'm right there. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change and please gamble responsibly. For more information on how to gamble responsibly, check out begambleaware.org. Uh, now then, last week, Manchester City unveiled a statue of the club legends Colin Bell, Francis Lee and Mike Summerby. The Blue Moon podcast was at the unveiling and Sam Roscoe rounds up what happened. Over the last few years, City have installed several statues outside the Etihad. In 2021, former captains Vincent Company and David Silva were honoured and then in 2022, Sergio Aguero joined the club. And now three figures from further back in the club's history are permanently remembered too. We were part of a team, Lee Bell and Sonnaby. The thing about it is that uh, we had a fantastic uh, manager and, and coach at that particular time. So we had a superb side and we played really well. But you're talking about two exceptional players there who aren't here today, who were part of a really, really top, top side. And we were a top side. You know, we won all the trophies and we did things and we enjoyed it. We enjoyed our football. Joe Mercer was a great manager and Malcolm Allison was probably one of the best coaches you'll ever see. That's Mike Summerby. Before the modern era, he was a key member of the previous successful City side. It was put to him that his team were crucial in the club's history because without them, the current team wouldn't exist. This is a football club, a great football club. And all great football clubs have history. Ours was part of the club history. Now we've got a different history. This club, is, this team now is as good as you'll ever see. Simple as that. Thank you for saying that though, but at the end of the day is, we were a good side at that particular time, good, great players, but at the end of the day is, another year has come now, and this side is as good as you'll ever see. We were a top, top side in that particular era, now we've got this era now which is another top side. The new statue also pays tribute to the rest of the team from the 1960s and 70s. Their names are written around the plinth. Football's a team game. And these players were all part of that team, you know, and that's why they're on there. We wouldn't have had it, we wouldn't have done that without those names being put on there. Simple as that. Because we were a team, we were very close to units as a team, and we played together, we won things together, so why not? Summerby is the only surviving member of the famous trio. Francis Lee died earlier this year, while Colin Bell passed away in 2021. His son, John Bell was at the unveiling. I think it's beautiful, um, so it's on different levels, so it's a great piece of art. I think the sculptors captured them all as individuals, but has then brought them all together as one. Um, to see Dad there as well, very emotional, but it's incredible to, to see it on a, such a beautiful day as well. And the fact it's going to be there forever and people can ask questions of those three players and the history of the club, um, yeah, it's very important. Colin Bell often shied away from the limelight, he didn't give many interviews, 
and was a private man. John was asked what his dad would have thought of having a statue outside the Etihad. I'm sure there'd be an element of embarrassment that he's got a statue just because of the character that, that he was. And yeah, so yeah, it's nice that they recognise the other players around the outside of the statue on the plinth. All of them equally as important. So he'd be pleased to see that. I'm sure deep down he'd be very proud, but he would have... Uh, contain that and, so, and he won't be doing any interviews either but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah I'm sure he'd be, he'd be very proud and John was pleased with the final outcome too there's always that element of fear that it's not going to be an accurate representation or something but um, yeah I think the sculpts has got, got into a T it's, I know they went through a long process getting the right person to do it um, and I think they've, David so they've entrusted the right guy to do them justice um, yeah, it's incredible. I've not seen a sports statue like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's been a good choice and he's delivered on his brief to perfection, really. The artist was David Williams Ellis. He was pleased with the reaction the piece had had from the players' families. They're all saying, I've caught the essence of their play, the summer swerve, the way that Mike arms are suspended um, his legs are almost like he's sort of suspended from under his shoulders and his legs just move uh, they're almost like sort of puppet like in a way um, they're loose and then uh, Francis with this incredible thrust forward of, of, of sort of this chest and if you look at the photographs of him playing in that era I would say that 50% of the photographs of him in the press are of him with his chest forward stretched thrusting in so you know, if, if I was, you know, I was, they were great subjects. David also says that response has been humbling. It's great to get that feedback. I had tears of, um, you know, I saw Mike and, and Tina, his wife, in tears this morning. He was the first here and his family, and that's quite moving as an artist that you've given something to them. The club has made sure that the families, along with Summerby and Lee, before he died early this year, were involved in the process throughout. Some of you joked that creating his likeness was a challenge. The artist is a genius to make it look like me at any rate, but at the end of the day it is. It's very good. He's even got my nose in the right leg. <laughs> but it's, 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 a, it's really a privilege to be able to be involved in a situation like that, to be able to have a statue built outside a football ground, ground with a great football club. You know, to be part of, a, of that particular club is unbelievable. There were some surprises on the day, John Bell explains what the process was. We saw something called a maquette at the early stage, which is a miniature version of the statue, and then we've seen uh, video footage since, so we've not seen the bronze or anything. Um, so it is a, yeah, today was the first time, first time we saw it. Um, so we've been, Caldoon, the chairman, has made sure the families are involved. It's been led from his office. It shows how important the project is to him. Um, yeah, so he's made sure we're happy at every, every step of the way. Um, yeah, and we're, we're thrilled with the final product. Colin Bell, Francis Lee and Mike Summerby were all a major part in City's previous successful era. They were the headlines of the last team to win the top division title before Roberto Mancini's side in 2012. They also won the FA Cup in 1969 and the League Cup in 1970. And now... Their part in City's history is immortalised forever outside the Etihad. Hi, this is Mike Summerby, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. 
That was Sam Roscoe talking us through the statue unveiling for Bell Lee and Summerby there. Uh, we're going to squeeze some listener questions in to finish. Get in touch for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website as well. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com and fill in the form there. Uh, Dan Hampton on Twitter says, given the state of the squad with injuries and injuries across the league this season, do you think City could go into the market in January? I know they don't normally and it would have to be the right profile of player, but this year it seems to be an extraordinary case. Um, Charlotte, City don't normally go into the into the window in January, but the squad is thin. It's small anyway. We know that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think it? Do you think the hand might be forced this year? Guardiola likes a small squad, doesn't he? Though that there's a reason why they have a small squad. I think it's not like they don't have enough money to go out and get more players if they want, or they can bring extra players in. So I think he likes. I know it's a very small squad this season, but he likes that. So that play that works for him in terms of January. I don't expect them to do anything. Does that mean they definitely won't? No, of course not. Anything can change between now and then. We've also got to look. Kevin De Bruyne is hopefully, after Christmas, going to be start getting back to full fitness. John Stones is going to be obviously played yesterday against Villa, but then he's going to get fitter as well. Rodri's hopefully going to stop getting suspended, what feels like every other week. Um, <laughs> he's taken matters into his own hands for a rest this he, year, he, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah he really has. Um, so there's all these mitigating factors where I just think once you look at the injuries that they've got, if De Bruyne was going to be out for the whole entire season and if John Stones hadn't already made his return, then maybe you'd think, mm, do they need to go and do something? But I, I, just, I just can't see it myself. I think they do have enough once the injured players come back. Yeah, Adam. As a as a fan, um, when you think of of, of City squad and and kind of the relative comfort, I guess we'd all get from having a few more bodies in there. It's not just. I, I don't know. I don't know which side of the fence you fall on because I'm always torn on this. Given that uh, you could get some more bodies through the door, but like, what good are they if they're just another Calvin Phillips? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think Charlotte's hit the nail on the head there. That that's almost three new signings with Rodri, Stones, and De Bruyne. If it all falls in line, so. The fan in me was always loves a new signing, so I'm all for a January signing. I loved Laporte when he came in, so I think it's wonderful. But I think the crisis in context, I mean, we've not registered a win since the 4th of November. We've only taken three points from possible 12, and we're still only six points off the top of the league. So it's not the crisis that everyone is kind of blow, blowing out to be, blowing up to be. So I don't think a new person in the in the door is the answer that they'll go, or the solution that they'll go with, even though I'd love 10 new players in January just for the buzz of it. <laughs> and we do, we do have a habit, don't we, of uh, when, when things are not going well, and let's be honest, they haven't gone well in the last few weeks, we have a habit of starting to look for, for other things that might be the might be the factor. And if, if, City had, if, if City had held out against Chelsea and uh, Liverpool, say, for instance, in those two games, like, and the performances had been exactly the same. We'd look at this and go, "Well, things are things are all right. They've just had a little mini blip. They don't need to add to to the to the squad." So um, there, there is that side of things as well. Um, finally, Gav on Twitter asks: uh, Is Mateus Nunes at risk of becoming another Calvin Phillips? Um, Charlotte, I don't know if that's a bit harsh, but uh, you saw him. Um, I mean, briefly in the in the game against Villa, he has been injured in the last few weeks. Uh, but when he came on, he didn't really seem to be able to to slot in and. As you were saying before about new signings under Guardiola, it can it, it, they can take a, a little while to to kind of settle in. So I don't know if that's if it's jumping the gun a little bit here, uh, but it, it did feel like a, a signing that uh, was at risk. It, it could be a risk of being a, a, a Phillips style signing. 
I, I just think it's too early to assess what sort of a signing that he is and how he's going to bed in properly. I think I know it sounds ridiculous to say you're going to have to wait until the end of the season to judge him properly, but I think it he really does need that time to bed in and Guardiola needs to see how how he's going to work and how does he want him to work in his system. When De Bruyne is back, is that going to help him? Is it going to hinder him? There's all these sorts of different aspects to it. So I think we've not seen enough of him to judge him properly. Um, you're right in terms of like coming off the bench, he didn't have the impact that he would have wanted. But then you're talking about new players when you sign them and he'll be very aware that he needs, he wants to prove a point. He wants to be starting games. And if you're coming into a game and you need, they desperately needed someone to change it, I just think the pressure they put on themselves as well, they, they don't do things like they would normally do if they were fully fit and thriving in those positions. So I don't know. I think it's a bit too early to be writing him off maybe if we have this conversation at the end of the season and see how it's panned out in the second half. Yeah, Adam. For for yourself, when you when you watch Nunes, um, I mean, it's it's weird. I, I don't know what to make of him. I've not seen a lot of him so far. But he kind of there's been times where I've thought oh, he looked quite tidy, and then other times I thought he just doesn't he doesn't look like he fits in. And that's I guess yeah. a, a signing in the first season under Guardiola, isn't it? It's exactly that. Yeah, and yeah, and I think it's the position that he plays is why we've got the scrutiny on him. If he was one of a plethora of centre-backs or a plethora of wingers, then he might have a little bit more time to go under the radar and to hone his craft in certain games. He's coming back from an injury in a game against Villa where we needed to win. We needed to get back in the game in a game that we were being totally dominated in. Um, so that's tough to, to judge him on that. I think any other position on the pitch, he might be a, a, allowed a bit more time to come to fruition. So I think he's just unlucky that he's... When Rodri out of the team we're, we're looking for an immediate answer and it's either him Kovacic or Phillips I don't think any of them are covering themselves in glory at the moment and that might just simply be because they're not Rodri yeah um, and well, well, who is? That's the that's the thing. Mm. Um, right, well, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Congratulations and commiserations if you've made it this far. Uh, hopefully we've made you feel better about things, though. If not, at least we've hopefully allowed you to wallow in self-pity a bit longer. Uh, thank you also to my guests for this one, Adam Carter. A cathartic pleasure. And Charlotte Dunker. Thanks for having me. Enjoy Belgrade, Charlotte. Um, I'll, I'll be try. Back. <laughs> I'll be back <laughs> next week to review God knows whatever happens at Luton and Red Star. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. Did Sean Gorton maybe get two hat-tricks in a row against us, I think? And yeah, he was in, it wasn't just City. It was, it was like whenever we came up against him as well. Because I think he scored for scored quite regularly for a, a few teams against us. There's a wonderful stat that Sean Gota had as many hat-tricks at Turf Moor for City than he did at Main Road. <laughs> he, he had like a Harlan-esque record against him, didn't he? It was yeah. ridiculous. For some reason, I remember one of the games where he scored a few at Turf Moor, that, um, him celebrating with Moonchester in front of the away end. Now, you've got to be pretty sure you're going to go well if you take your massive alien mascot to an away <laughs> game. You know, it, it's been a fixture that City have liked, you know, over the years, I mean, there was that famous clip from the the, the club documentary when um, Guardiola referred to Burnley as, being, you know, we've got to go to Burnley, and that's like going to the dentist. 
tell you what, I'd probably want to get Guardiola's dentist number because, it, you know, there, there, are, there are fixtures that have been far more like a trip to the dentist than Burnley, which, you know, weirdly, around this time when, so we're looking at this period now when City even coming out of a not very good phase. Then there's a phase when we've played Burnley when they've been, a, you know, the best in their modern history in the Sean Dyche, and yet it has always seemed to work out pretty well. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.